Well, we're examining the vineyard value of compassionate ministry. And I just wanted to break that down a little bit because the tendency is to remain focused on the compassion part of the value while only inferring the ministry part. You see, it really is a two-part value. The first part is compassionate, meaning a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate suffering. Do you ever feel that? And it, it's an interesting thing about compassion. You know, people can be very compassionate about something, and the person standing right next to them are going, duh. You know, doesn't move them at all. You know, so there's a lot of variation there. Now, all of that belongs strictly to the realm of feelings or emotions. Sympathy, sorrow, strong desire are all internally processed either by the mind or by the heart, the emotions. I, I read an interesting uh, thing. I'm reading this uh, new book on Genesis 1. And um, he's, he's talking about trying to understand the Bible uh, in, in modern-day concepts when they didn't get it with modern-day concepts. You know? And so when I say you know, feelings of the heart to a Jew, they process, they believe they processed all their thoughts, all their emotions, uh, all of that in the heart the liver, the kidney, and the upper intestines. So when they say bowels of compassion, they believe that's where all the emotional thoughts emanated from their gut. So when you read that in the Bible, you know, you think the heart, oh, they, they you know, the, the mind, the heart, we feel with a heart. They literally thought you felt and processed thoughts with your heart, with your gut. You know, I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, so. Yeah, gut feeling, right? Hey, thank you, Jim. Wow, you're a genius. Guy's amazing. Never even thought of that. Wow. You want to swap? <laughs> uh, and and it, that's, that's good. It shows awareness. Processed either by the mind or by the heart. It's uh, situations, concern for others. But like anything that we become internally aware of, as I've said in the past, knowledge demands action. It's one thing to know something. It's one thing to feel something. If you turn, turn around and walk away and don't do anything, what, what good does it do anybody? Right? Knowledge demands action. And so the second part of the value is ministry. Compassionate ministry, meaning a person or thing through which something is accomplished. If I feel it, if I'm compelled by it, if my gut is churning, if I've got a gut feeling, I'm going to use that now. Right? I want to do something. I want to do something. Compassionate ministry is essentially expression. Expression of the very expression of the Father when he manifests his love toward the world by the giving of his son, Jesus. Remember, I spoke of this before, that Jesus was constantly being moved by compassion. 
Here, here are some of the scriptures. Matthew 14, 14. When he went ashore and saw a great crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He felt something. Out of that, he was compelled to do something. Right? He felt compassion. He healed them. Mark uh, 8, oh, Mark 6, 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So same crowd, he's feeling compassion. But this time, it tells why he's feeling compassion. He sees them just kind of wandering helter-skelter. And he began to teach them many things. In other words, he began to draw them into a singular focus. Because sheep, you ever see sheep are just kind of wandering around till the, till the feeding bell rings, right? Mm. Mark 8, 2, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I, I remember I shared this a couple of weeks ago. And so they see, oh, well, what are we supposed to do? You know, there's 7,000 men plus women and children here. And Jesus says to the disciples, you feed them. I'm feeling it. You do it. Right? Isn't that cool? It's what he's doing to us, you know, is the church. God is feeling. He's moving with compassion. But he's saying, you do it. You're my body. Right? You do it. You be my hands. You be my feet. You be my voice. You be my heart expressed. So where does all this compassion come from? Uh, Jesus expresses it here in John 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus' compassion is a mimic of the Father's compassion. He isn't just expressing his own compassion. He's expressing the Father's compassion because he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Oh, Father is being moved by compassion. He begins to express it. This compassion was first expressed at the birth of John the Baptist as the preparer of the way of the Lord when he began to act on the awareness, the father of the awareness he had concerning the condition of humanity separated from his love and lost in the despair of darkness. His awareness ignited his divine compassion and moved him to begin to act, to minister his compassion through his life expressed through both John the Baptist as the awareness bringer. Ever think of that? The awareness bringer. Remember Paul says, one, one plants a seed, right? You plant the seed and you go off and there you go. And then someone else comes along and says, oh, there's a seed there. Better water that, right? Oh, there's a sprout there. Better put some support in the structure. Oh, there's a plant there. Let's, let's just prune some of those extra. Oh, there's some fruit. Let's have a harvest, right? That's how it works. It's the same thing with the Lord. So John the Baptist as the awareness bringer, and then Jesus as the expression of the Father's love and merciful compassion. I, w I want to encourage all of you in your Bible reading that you might on occasion try reading a variety of different versions of the Bible. You you'll might have noticed, usually when Martha is going to quote something, she says, and 
And this is the Amplified version. Martha lives in the Amplified Bible. Can I read you this verse on the Amplified? Oh, no. Let me get a seat. <laughs> we, we utilize the ESV, the English Standard Version, as our giveaway Bible because of its ease of reading and its accuracy of interpretation but there are other versions just as reliable that may afford you additional insight into the scriptures. This past week, I felt prompted of the Holy Spirit to read the Holman Christian Standard Bible. I'm sure you all have a copy of that on your shelf. Right? And that was during my preparation of this word and discovered an entirely uh, new insight concerning the birth of John the Baptist and the work of God through this event in bringing awareness of God's awareness of man's plight and his compassionate response to it. So this is Luke uh, 1, 67-79 from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, and it's titled Zechariah's Prophecy. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist, and if you're familiar with the story in Luke, um, he's serving as a priest at the temple, it's his turn to burn incense. He goes into the inner court, the, the first chamber, and he's burning incense, and all of a sudden an angel appears and tells him he's going to have a son, and his son is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And the angel says, uh, John says, well, how can this be? You know, I'm old. And the angel says, well, because you doubted, you're not going to speak until the kid is born, right? So the next nine months, he can't say a word. It's driving everyone crazy. His wife finally delivers John the Baptist, and everyone says to the wife, because dad ain't talking, what are you going to name him? And she says, John. They said, John? We don't have any Johns in the family. You know, let's ask Zechariah. He can't talk anyways, right? <laughs> So they turn to him, and he asks for a writing pad, and he writes, his name is John, and he holds it up, and as soon as he does, his mouth is open. His speech is freed up, right? And this is what comes out of his mouth. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us, in the house of David. I, I want to pause there. I want to ask you, do you know what a horn of salvation is? What comes to your mind when you think of horn of salvation? Okay, cornucopia, a horn with oil, a trumpet, horse with a unicorn. Bingo. Bingo. The horns of the altar. When Moses was giving instructions for them to come into the promised land, he said, and throughout the land you'll have cities of refuge. 
for you will establish an altar with four horns on it. And if a, a man is a slayer of another man, he slays him by accident, not by murder, but by accident. He can run to these cities of refuge and lay hold of the horns of salvation, and nobody can touch him. Nobody can touch him. And this is what Zechariah prophesies. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies. In other words, our enemies can no longer touch us because we have a horn of salvation in our house. He can threaten all he wants, folks. He can just keep speaking into your mind, but he cannot accomplish what he says he wants to do to your life because we have a horn of salvation. And from the clutches of those who hate us, he has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us, listen, I love this line, he has given us the privilege since we have been rescued from our enemy's clutches to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all of our days. And child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Why? Because of God's merciful compassion. John the Baptist was God's first redemptive expression of compassionate ministry to humanity towards salvation. The dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The incarnation of Jesus is an act of the Father's compassionate ministry. What verse 78 states is that God the Father had begun to do compassionate ministry toward humanity. Jesus, in his love for and obedience to the Father, continued to express that compassion through signs, wonders, and miracles, and the preaching of the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. And now, as Jesus did for the Father, so are we to do for Jesus. Do compassionate ministry. Remember Jesus' statement to us in John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. What's the work that he's doing here? He's expressing compassionate ministry toward humanity. You know, when we read that verse, we think of healing or raising the dead or, you know, casting out demons. But he's also calling us to be compassionate to express love, to redeem those who are under bondage. Do compassionate ministry. Greater works than these will you do because I am going to the Father. So what is the value that can be found in compassionate ministry? It would appear to be obvious for the one receiving the compassionate ministry that they get their needs met at some level. Right? I mean, that's pretty obvious. But sometimes it goes deeper than that. 
Sometimes you can have needs that you are unaware of until you receive or experience compassionate ministry because awareness is an essential component of compassion. And other times you can be ministering compassionately and not know it until you see the fruit of it. 1994, I traveled down to the Dominican Republic as a small team leader for an organization called Reach Out 2000 that had uh, been contacted by the pastors of a Baptist church of about 300 who felt they needed some outside influence in their ministry. They felt stalled out and were not sure why. We had a great time with that group. They received us well, and we loved them well in return. By the end of the trip, Carlos and Jose, uh, the two pastors of the church, were already trying to solidify a return trip, which was, of course, very encouraging uh, for us to know that we had made an impact on them. And I won't get into all the details of uh, what we did for ministry, except to say that we loved the people of that church at a very personal kind of grassroots level. We did not get hung up on being leadership or being special guest speakers or Americans with all, all of that, you know. We went to the people's homes. We ate with them, prayed with them, cried and laughed with them, experienced their lives where they lived, and listened to their stories. We had no idea that this was not the normal interaction they had experienced from the church in the past or with other groups that had come in or from even their own leadership. They functioned in a hierarchical structure that left a professional rift between pastors and people. Anyway, we finished our ministry there and came home with plans to evaluate the trip with the missions director and make a decision for future involvement. Before the week was out, I got a call from Pastor Carlos stating that he and Pastor Jose needed my help. They wanted to learn how to love their people the way they saw us love their people. So I asked Carlos, I said, well, how, how can we do that? And he said, well, you can start by picking us up at Logan Airport. We just flew in. And we're going to spend, do you remember this? We're going to spend a week with you. Because <laughs> that's the only way we know how to learn how to do this, is to be with you, to watch you. They followed me back to New Hampshire because they saw the value of compassionate ministry. Now listen to this in Luke 18:35. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, hey, over here, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Now, I like that. Let me recover my sight. He didn't say, fix my eyes. Heal my eyes. He said, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. 
that's, that's awesome. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him. And followed him. Do you see what compassionate ministry does? It enables, it empowers. He followed him, glorifying God, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Because the awareness created by compassion ministry is motivational, it is designed to compel us toward action. And the type of action that does not merely pander to emotional brokenness or codependency, but action that empowers, equips, and directs towards the purposes of God. As Katrina said last week, we cannot do this by works of the flesh. Mercy, compassion, as biblically understood as steadfast kindness, goodness, and faithfulness are fruit of the Holy Spirit and are birth in and from his heart. Sometimes compassionate ministry is just your presence. We're in a given situation. You can be received in such a way that love or joy or inclusion is felt by another person and it impacts their life in dynamic ways. This is a, especially true in cultures where some members of society are oppressed and have no voice in or power over their own lives. Can you put up that picture of the kids? This is uh, 1996 in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. Uh, we were invited there by the Koreans to come and teach in their Bible college that they had started and um, also to tour around and, and meet with some of the underground church groups that were forming. And at one point, we spent three days out on the, what they call a steep, that is this l large plateau, it goes on forever and ever. And we lived in a, a gur, one of those round tents, it was really cool. And... Uh, so the woman who owned the girl, the, the matriarch of the family, uh, in Mongolia, women, women are pretty much non-existent. Everyone kind of looks through them, especially if you're the matriarch. That's not a plus. It means you do all the cooking and preparing and work and sweeping and cleaning up the horse dung and, and all of that. And no one talks to you. They talk past you, through you, by you, around you. So as we spent three days, two nights in this woman's girl, uh, we just began to include her in, in conversation. We directed conversation to her through an interpreter. We asked about her uh, past and, and all of this. And every, every night before lights went out, we'd pray for her. Um, and we just saw uh, this woman was 94 years old. 94 years old. Yeah, and so the day we were leaving, she came up to me and she gave me a a little cellophane wrapper from a pack of Lucky Strikes. You remember those Lucky Strikes, the clear plastic, and it was filled with little teeny smooth, colorful pebbles. Probably thirty pebbles. She said, "When I was a little girl, of four." My family and I lived by the Gobi Desert. 
And before we moved away, my mother took me out into the desert and we collected these pebbles so that I would never forget where I came from. She said, this week, you have changed where I come from. You've brought me into something I've never experienced. And every day I will go out and I will watch the jets fly over and hope that on one of them you will be coming back to see me again. And she gave me the bag of pebbles. I still have them on my dresser. See, compassionate ministry changed her self-perception of her worth, her value, and who she felt she was as a woman, as a person of importance. Now, I got to tell you, I didn't strike out, I'm going to have compassion on this woman. Didn't know all of that was going on. Didn't have a clue. But it made a difference. Sometimes it's compassionate ministry that breaks down social, cultural, and barriers of status to allow the kingdom of God to move on the earth as it is in heaven. This will be my last little story. It was in Ghana, West Africa. Miles, what's Miles' last name? Do you remember? Miles Akins. We were working with Miles. A number of trips going in there and uh, we went into this particular trip, and he said, I'm, I want to do a prayer station, uh, which would be equivalent to us doing a church plant in another part of Ghana. And uh, Ghana has a, a really unique governmental structure. They have a like an English-type structure as a federal government over Ghana, but every district has a legitimate king who rules over that district. And he is recognized even by the overriding government as a legitimate king. He's honored as a king, respected as a king, he's treated as a king. And anything that you do in any district, you have to get clearance from the king. And so we went with Miles down to this district and went into the village and um, we asked for an audience with the king. And it was all pomp and circumstance. It was really quite stunning. Um, they had an outdoor um, throne chair for him and several chairs on each side of him for all his elders and all the elders came out and stood in line and, and then the king came out and he had a leopard skin robe on and he had a staff in his hand and a headdress on and you know he came out and he stood on it in front of his uh, throne and he sat down and then all the elders sat down and then we all sat down, we we're facing him and he had a go-between, a man who spoke his language and spoke English. You couldn't speak directly to the king. You had to speak to this man who spoke to the king, who came back and spoke back to you. So we negotiated, and the king said, well, we'll consider it. So we asked permission if we could uh, visit around in his village, in the town where we, we were at, until we heard his uh, decree and we would like permission to knock on people's door to preach the gospel. And he said, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And so we did. We went out in teams. And as I was going up this little alleyway, I looked off to the right, and there was a, an area cleared out, and there was a big grape arbor there. And under the arbor was one of the elders that I recognized with several other elders sitting there. And this man was just weeping. 
And I turned and I looked at him and I began to just feel this heaviness in my heart. I didn't know what had happened. I went in and I went up to him and I said, why are you crying? He said, my son, my only son was just struck by a car and killed. Two minutes ago, he just got the news. And when he said that, I broke. I fell on his neck and I just cried. I didn't say anything. I just cried with him about 12 to 15 minutes, just sobbing and crying. And he finally stopped crying. And I never said a word to him. I got up. I turned around. As I turned around, I looked, and the king was walking by. He paused, and he looked at me, and he walked away. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if I broke some kind of cultural norm here, you know. So sure enough, the... Uh, the little go-between guy caught up with me, and he said, the king wants to see you and your group now. Blew that one, you know. So we go back there, and the whole pomp and circumstance thing goes on. He sits down, the elders sit down, we sit down. And the go-between goes to say something to me, and the king stands up, and he said, no. No longer do we need a go-between. I will speak face-to-face with this man. As I saw, he loves my people. I saw it with my eyes. He loves my people. Out of that compassion, my compassion for this man's brokenness, the king's heart was changed. He said, not only will I give you land, he said, I'll give you a structure you can build a prayer outpost, you can build a church, you can build a school, and we will provide for it all. Compassionate ministry broke down the barriers. Compassionate ministry is spiritually designed to flow like a river. John 7, 38, Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It isn't always power. Mostly, it's love. What's flowing from your life today? Is your heart flow dammed up with the cares of life? Let's pray together. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to begin to pour love and compassion out of the Father's heart, through the life of Jesus as he expressed it in giving himself on the cross, into your life so that out of you will flow rivers of living water. And who knows what the impact will be. You may not ever have to do with knowledge or understanding of the idea of ministry. You may just be ministry. When compassion is the thing that's at work.